For our listeners, a content warning for the book in this conversation. We cover topics including death and police brutality, post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress disorder, violence, racism and discrimination, social identities, and white privilege. We just want to give you a heads up if any of these topics can potentially be triggering to you. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Are You There, Love? It's us, Danny and Izzy. I'm Danny. And I'm Izzy. Welcome back for episode two. Yes, woo! Woo. (laughs) We are here this week to talk about The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Uh, Izzy has read this book before. This was my first time reading it. I blazed through it in less than 24 hours. Yes, we stand a quick reader. Yes, quick reader. And then also, it's a great book. We thought for Black History Month, we would tap into a book by a black author talking about the black black female author female author yes um and so this week's theme is interracial relationships and allyship yes um and before we dive into the episode we just want to give a quick uh format change update i guess that we're as we go along with this podcast, we're trying to see what fits best, and we thought the quote-by-quote analysis that we did of To All the Boys was great, but we're just going to look a little bit broader and really get into more of the the, the moments and the sub-themes and a deeper conversation, so just heads up about that. As Danielle said, we are looking at The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And just to get started, we're going to do the Goodreads summary um, because, you know, what other summaries do we, can we rely on than our trusty Goodreads? Um, yes, so I don't, we don't have it. I appreciate it. Helps me keep yeah. track of all my books. Anyway. Yeah, and if you haven't followed me on Goodreads, I'm going to give a quick plug to do so. Just search my name, Izzy John Ho. My first Danielle, but if you follow Izzy, you'll find me and her friends. I like <laughs> her book reviews. Yeah, I might cut this part out. We don't want to self-plug, but maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. So here is the Goodreads summary. 16-year-old Star Carter moves between two worlds, the poor neighborhood where she lives and the fancy suburban prep school she attends. The uneasy balance between these worlds is shattered when Star witnesses the fatal shooting of her childhood best friend, Khalil, at the hands of a police officer. Khalil was unarmed. Soon afterward, his death is a national headline. Some are calling him a thug, maybe even a drug dealer, and a gangbanger. Protesters are taken to the streets in Khalil's name. Some cops and the local drug lord try to intimidate Star and her family. What everyone wants to know is, What really went down that night? And the only person alive who can answer that is Star. But what does Star does or does not say could upend her community. It could also endanger her life. Inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement, this is a powerful and gripping YA novel about one girl's struggle for justice. Oof. Yes. Yeah, so the book obviously from that summary hits a lot of topics. With that, we are, like I said, exploring interracial relationships and allyship, and we picked this theme. Obviously, we are a relationship podcast, so one of the formative, important relationships that are touched upon in this book is a relationship between Star and her boyfriend, Chris. Chris is white, 
star is black. So there's a really interesting dynamic there uh, that we think is really important to talk about in regards to race and dating and the blending of cultures and all that jazz. So that's what we're going to be getting into. And then allyship, a big part of this book as well. And with the Black Lives Matter movement and any really social justice movement is not only the group that is impacted, but the allies that support the movement. You can't really get change going if we all don't work to a better tomorrow. So a lot of the relationships explored in this book are not only between Chris and Star, boyfriend, girlfriend, but we see how Star interacts with those at her private school, those in her Garden Heights community, which is where she grew up, her amongst her school friends and her uh, with her community friends. So we're just going to dive into all these different relationships and how it affects her as a Black woman of society and those around her. Yeah. And like as we go through this conversation, um, we just want to acknowledge both of our privileges that I am white passing, but of biracial family and origin, and Danielle is white. I am uh, white. Hello. <laughs> um, and yeah, we're trying. We're gonna navigate this conversation as best we can, and we think it's important to talk about. Um, and we would love to hear people's feedbacks on this conversation. You know, we're here to learn and we want to know if we can better ourselves and our understanding of these issues in a certain way that we don't know as white, with white and white passing. So we're here to learn, we're here to grow, and we're here to talk about race and also show that I feel like white people especially can be hesitant to talk about race without a person of color in the room, which is a big, mm-hmm. I think, flaw because that just doesn't lead to like understanding. And as white passing white people, we have the privilege to target this audience that may not be prone to listen or maybe ignorant of these uh, notions. Uh, and also as like a more of a background content that my parents are an interracial couple. My dad is white, my mom is Hispanic, and uh, I do have that sort of perspective, but I also don't want to speak on their behalf, but I will definitely give my perspective on uh, interracial couples. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I am, as Izzy said, white. White. <laughs> uh, as you said, some people are in the white community uh, hesitant to open these dialogues, but it's really important to have uh, amongst a variety of people in your life. So that's why we're here. Like Izzy said, if you have any comments, suggestions, concerns, maybe we didn't address something properly or there's something you wanted to hear, just hit us up on our Instagram or our email if you listen to this. Um, additionally, I am white, but one thing I'll get into our first with our first topic uh, Izzy wanted me to address it in the first episode and I didn't. Uh, I guess my one minority tie is that my mom was raised Catholic and my dad is Jewish. So I have some Jewish heritage in there, which we'll get into when we talk about um, dating amongst different cultures. So we're just going to jump into it. First kind of, I guess we could call it a sub theme or whatever like some category of like this interracial relationship and allyship um theme that we're talking about today is code switching and the pull between two communities um this is very prevalent for star in the book um 
as mentioned in the summary, Star is a black girl and lives in Garden Heights, which is predominantly black and minority. Okay, sorry. I'm not going to say minority because minority is a word that greater society uses to bring a group of marginalized people down um, because we are not the minority anymore or we have gravitated to like be a strong majority class. So let's, uh, that's just one okay, instance where we're going to fix ourselves and we're not going to use the term minority that the kind of already inherently marginalizes us. Um, we don't need that because society does that enough. So, okay. What the, I don't know. That's a little rant. Um, so, okay. Going back to this, like the first kind of topic is, the code switching or the feeling of being pulled between two communities and pre- presenting two sides of yourself. Star is a black girl. She lives in Garden Heights. Then she attends a white prep school. And you see in the book that she feels very torn between these two communities, which she is a part of and I think that is highlighted between like she keeps some of her she calls it Williams Williamson star versus Garden Heights star and this is a real sort of struggle with her especially um after she witnesses her friend Khalil get shot by a police that this is the her experience in Garden Heights is like bleeding over into her Williamson star and like she's trying to merge like how can she who like how is her identity presented in these two spaces and like what is authentic to her and I think this is also a point of stress uh, in her relationship with Chris because Chris is a white boy that she is dating and Star feels like she's betraying her family her culture her neighborhood her race uh by dating a white boy when it's typically shown in the book that uh the pressure to date within her community is very important um yeah I agree with everything Izzy said that's <laughs> how the book presented I think an important note to make also in regards to Williamson star versus Garden Heights star is towards the end of the book star realizes the shame she felt regarding Garden Heights star and revealing that side of herself at Williamson and around her white peers um, that she just hid. She even, when her friends asked her, do you, do you know Khalil? Is that the Khalil that was at your birthday party when we were younger? Star denies it. She doesn't want to be labeled as the angry black girl, she says. And there's all of these connotations and kind of stereotypes that she doesn't want to be quote proving unquote uh in front of these white people because she knows that they're quick to judge or has this subconscious bias she's just experienced it before and she doesn't want to prove all these stereotypes correct um so in regards to williamson star and garden heights star where she feels like she can't show her true self to some of her friends her family she always has to do this sort of code switching uh this is obviously very prevalent and in her subconscious dialogue uh when star interacts with her boyfriend chris Mm -hmm. so it has ever been a time where you felt this way is there maybe some subconscious pressure from your parents to date someone from a certain culture have friends from a certain culture any of that sort of stuff 
Yeah, not really, because I mean, my parents are an interracial couple, so I grew up pretty open to the idea of like dating with, with either within my race or outside of it, and the my past uh, romantic trysts trysts uh, have been a mix of like white boys and men of color. I love how I just said white boys and men of color because white boys are white boys, so like men of color. Um, um, but from like my knowledge, and I also joke that uh, my my mom and my family, she started like the trend of dating and marrying white dudes in my family because kind of like once she started to marry, I guess I think I believe to my knowledge she was the first woman in my family to marry a white dude and then like my cousins all both married white dudes they're great I mean I like them a lot but I think it's just funny um but like I've also seen in other cases with family or friends that this no like this notion to stay within your culture to date within your a culture and race is a big pressure and a big factor to dating and I think it, it seems like from the beginning of the book that Chris starts to date Star because she presents more of this Williamson Star because that's how because this is how Star feels like she needs to navigate this predominantly white space and maybe not be comfortable in it but survive in it and mm-hmm. I think that this is also a, a coping mechanism for a lot of BIPOC uh, uh, people and not that I can relate to her experience and, but I did go to predominantly white school and being me a white passing person like that was hard and I understand kind of this um feeling like you need to like tone down yourself or like trying to fit into like at least conform to like a a, what a white person or white space feels like is acceptable for a BIPOC person to be like in my middle school or my high school there were predominantly white spaces especially because they were private schools and the access and opportunities for those types of um, BIPOC communities is very hard to break into especially with like the high school boarding school New England like area that's very hard so I always felt like I had to like conform to like the white girl standard and I think that inhibited a lot of my growth and also that sort of um, shame that Star feels like she's not being true to herself uh, and how she in garden in her Garden Heights Star. Like I kind of felt that way a bit, being like, "Well, I feel like since I go to this predominantly white school, I tr- am I subtly conforming to like what a white person wants of me?" But also knowing that I'm like white passing, so I already have that in. It's just my personality and like my cultural aspects that I felt like I, I needed to toned down a bit Mm -hmm. yeah and then there's like this subconscious pressure you put on yourself but then if you are to live out how you truly want to I guess in that moment and blend these two personalities together then such as in Star's instance she like when her family like her dad finds out she's dating a white boy and like her friends know she's dating a white boy they kind of like get on her about it and they're like yeah like so like you like white boys now like what's wrong with black boys like there's just either way it just feels like there's this judgment and it's not fair but I think it's not fair but it's also understandable because I mean there's a shared experience that we'll go into like a little bit later but that sort of like wanting to like stay within a comfortable safe community where you don't have to Mm -hmm. 
be this dual version of yourself or this other side of yourself, even though I feel like you prove you have to prove you're good enough too. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that's valid. And I think like, um, it can be, I feel like it, I can also see it be kind of concerning because like you want this community to be strong and stay together and kind of be a one force against oppressors but when you're mixing with the quote-unquote oppressors aka like white people the majority of white society like that can be kind of scary but then our world would not exist without this blending of like interracial couples you know so I think yeah yeah for sure I mean in regards to my experience as established I am a white person I will keep saying that I'm a white person so I have to acknowledge my privilege in such situations but the way I kind of related to this in regards to code switching and your family kind of judging or having like a say in your external relationships whether they're romantic or platonic I'm specifically going to focus on romantic um we've obviously seen this notion of judgment displayed through media such as the hate you give Um, but I can speak on this in regards to staying in your culture, kind of more in a religious aspect. I don't personally identify as a religious person. Uh, but as I said, my mom was raised Catholic and my dad was raised, identifies as Jewish. So growing up, I celebrated Christmas, Easter, and Hanukkah. That's the extent of like my religious upbringings. Um, But with that, my parents have since gotten divorced and I never felt like any pressure for them to like either side to be like, you should date within this like lane, you know, but I've noticed um, in conversation at the times I have brought up uh, potential male interests specifically to my dad, my male interests have been in the past on a few occasions njbs nice jewish boys and like i've <laughs> noticed like my jewish side of the family when they find that out like you kind of see the light behind their eyes go like oh and like i know in speaking with my jewish friends like their families have expressed like preference for them to be with like a jewish and that's not to say like that my family in particular would like be judgmental otherwise because like my sister has been dating her boyfriend who is now jewish forever they're high school sweethearts and like both sides of my family love him he's great um but it's just like interesting because even during like corona times I was added to this Facebook group called like the Jew like dating (laughs) whatever like at like my friend added me as like a joke because it was funny like the page was funny and people were posting all these things but it's just so interesting to see obviously this is different from like racial relations but in a cultural aspect it's like interesting to also note that this notion of staying in your lane with your culture like bleeds into other facets of society as well. Yeah. And I have heard similar experiences from people within like religions, especially like that is a big thing. And I think it makes sense because when you're dating someone, you want your values to align and not like if you, that doesn't mean like if you come from different cultures, your values won't align, but stuff like religion and kind of how you view race in other social identities is super important to be maybe not exactly but you have to be on the same page about those two things and and I think that's what it's easy to date within your culture or your community because you know 
it that automatically means at least like the basic values or whatever uh things that you're looking for line and a partner can line up and i think that in dating especially interracial couples like they, uh sometimes like i don't say maybe it's like adjusting their perspectives on life and their values can get kind of complicated and this can even i mean go politically too in a sense mm-hmm. where it's like sure. now especially with the end of uh i'm gonna call him he who must not be named um mm-hmm. as president um there's a lot of like relationships that broke up because their values didn't align on like politics and how they view race and uh like human rights basically so i think that that is like super important to like have your values and your core beliefs align but that doesn't mean that's specific to a culture a race community ethnicity and you see with star i think that she sees the good in chris and she obviously likes chris because he treats her well like and they have a lot of things and like a lot of interest in common and i think it's just that aspect of you see and you see that develop throughout the book of those like values of her of star coming to terms with and merging both of her identities to be the best star that she can showing Chris that she's not just this Williamson star. She's also this garden Heights star and she's a star in general and trying to align those types of feelings into her relationship with Chris. Yeah. And that kind of leads into our next topic, which is, Chris and his privilege as a white guy and how that affects their relationship. And also like white and a high income. Yes. Um, so yeah, Chris is wealthy, a wealthy white boy. And I think what's important to note about him is in the beginning, you see how hesitant star is to let him into garden Heights star in her world. Mm-hmm. He very much knows the code switched to Williamson star sprinkled with like garden Heights star in regards to like her interests. They bond over the fresh Prince of Bel-Air. They like the same music that's very popular within her community. Like he embraces black culture. I feel not in like a, like um an appropriation way, but appropriation way, but it, in an appreciative, like good way, mm-hmm. I guess you would say. And I think as the book progresses, yeah, you see Star open up more and with Star opening up more to her Garden Heights world with him, you see how he reacts and how he wants to learn and unlearn things he's learned by only being exposed to white community. And I think that's really important because you see he's willing to learn. Like he wants to know these things. He wants to know how she feels like he's all for I keep saying learning, but I feel like it's just so important to reinforce yeah. that, even though it's not Star's job to teach him these things about society mm-hmm. and her life as a black woman. But being in an interracial couple, I feel like if he was unwilling to do that, they would not last. They that he yeah. would not want to put in this effort. And you have this comparison between him and there is Star's friend Haley who is an absolute subconscious, blatantly racist mess, as you see throughout the book. Um, Because Haley makes this offhand comment uh, about Star while they're playing basketball, um, saying, 
uh, about Star liking fried chicken, which is very blatantly racist, and Haley will not apologize. And then their other friend, Maya, who's of Asian descent, Haley had made a joke about her family eating cat at Thanksgiving dinner, and she refuses to apologize. Among other things, Haley uh, believes that Kul at one point expresses that she believes it was okay that Khalil got killed by this police officer because he was a quote thug. He was a supposed quote drug dealer, all this other stuff. But the reality of the matter is he was an unarmed teenager in this car who got shot just for the color of his skin. None of those other factors mattered and she didn't see it that way. She just saw him as a supposed drug dealer and thought that was okay. That's my whole rant about that. So with all this, I think Chris acknowledges his privilege and Haley doesn't, and you see these two contrasts throughout the book, and yeah. you see someone who's willing to learn and apologize for wrongs they've done or said, and someone who's just completely unwilling and just is the type of person who's like, well, I have black friends, Asian friends, friends of all colors, and I'm not racist, and so I can say yeah. things, which is not okay. Yeah, and also, this doesn't mean that Haley, I mean, in the book, it's proven she's unwilling to unlearn these things, but I mean... This is just her at one point in time. Like, obviously, we don't see, like, how Haley continues her life. But I would assume, I don't know, maybe I don't assume anything. But, I mean, we need to allow people the space to unlearn and grow and mm-hmm. hold themselves accountable for their past actions. Yeah. So, and maybe. forgiveness down the line. If it's earned. Yeah. Forgiveness has to be earned. Yeah, and, and forgiveness is for the people who Haley's words have harmed, not for white people to be like, okay, like you have grown and learned. We, I forgive you for your past actions. Like that's not our place to uh, forgive, but it is our place to hold accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, going back to this privilege standpoint, I mean, also part of Chris's privilege is that he will never have to think about his skin color or any social identity that he has. But in contrast, Star always has to think about it. It's always on her mind. She can't not be a black girl. And that is something Chris will truly never understand. Uh, yeah. And I think that is, I don't know, it's kind of, it's not, impo- it's obviously not impossible to like get past that in a relationship, but it's also I think you can kind of see it now, especially since they're just too young. People are teenagers; like they have so much, so so much more to grow. Um, that like navigating that kind of oh, I will never understand, but how do I support you in this uh, type of journey? Mm-hmm. Like that is like highlighted. Um, one scene that's indicative of this sort of notion of Chris's privilege is that their uh, star and Chris are hanging out in. Chris's bedroom and they're they're waiting it's like the period where they're waiting for the grand jury to make their decision whether they want to indict the police officer that killed Khalil and there's like this conversation where it's like um it's indicative of this like Chris will never get it sort of sentiment and that he star kind of just goes he doesn't get it but that's like and I understand that so it's also like trying to come to terms with how there's a lot of like growth and learning curves that needs to happen in these types of relationships. And I see that with my parents all the time. Like even with my experience as a biracial woman, I know sometimes people just like won't 
get the struggles that I have with my identity or the struggles that I experience as being pulled between two places, I sometimes I have to come to terms with that. And the, the more important people in my life can kind of relate to that and I gravitate more towards them. But mm-hmm. just being also okay with like people not getting it. And, but on the other side, the people like Chris, they need to show like a willingness to learn and understand and know how to support that person in whatever their needs are. I think just a big over encompassing thing is just, I think an important quality for all of society is empathy and putting yourself in someone else's shoes or at least attempting to, I feel like a lot of people are very tunnel visioned to see the way they see them when life is a whole different animal for other people so yeah I'm glad you actually brought that term empathy to this conversation because it reminds me of this time where I went to a book reading or event author event that I hosted at or my old bookstore that I used to work at shout out to the bank street book next love you girls they hosted a book on empathy and this the the author who was a white man he was talking about empathy and like empathy being kind of being able to put yourselves in other people's shoe and relating to that fear. And I brought up the um, issue with like, oh, okay, um, I think we can all feel fear, but a man will never be able to know this certain type of fear that like I can get like just walking home at night or when a guy kind of cat calls me and looks at me a different way. And he's and from my recollection the guy was like yes but there's still that connection of fear and that's why I kind of hesitate on like this concept of empathy because my fear directly related to one of my social identities can never be understood by someone not in that social identity but they can identify with being fearful but not fearful because of like you're who you are like a woman your ethnicity race you know uh, sexuality So I think that is just very interesting. It's like, how do you, is there like a right term or like right way to describe this type of empathy or support you want to give people of other marginalized social identities in society? I don't know. I think that's like a concept like I still grapple with that being empathy is such a broad term. And I think Chris tries to have empathy for Star and Maya Star's other friend does as well. But it's like also one, they're they're young, they're teenagers, and they're dealing with these big life changing situations. Um, how do they empathize or try to support Star? Um, yeah. And so how does Star not like want the support, but like how does she need it? And you know, obviously, in the beginning of the book, you see like Star's method of support which is not saying anything and like I think also that's part to do because she didn't feel like she could enter that Garden Heights side into her Williamson star but I think it's one thing for people in who want to be allies to like learn how to support people but it's also like a, a little subset of like um telling us how you want it to be supported yeah like I, support. I think it would be just reframing empathy because I think I think you can have empathy and I don't think like when I feel empathy for others like like I said putting myself in their shoes and kind of acknowledging I would never feel that way like you said this white man doesn't know what it's like to walk alone at night as a white 
woman of color or something of that nature. I've had guy friends where I talk to them and I say, oh, I want to go to this event, but like, I can't because it's late at night and I don't want to go home alone. I'm a woman, Mm -hmm. like a young adult woman. That's scary. Obviously these are different. Let me preface by all these situations are like different levels. And I understand Mm -hmm. that, but this is just how I kind of resonate and how I am gaining my empathy for such situations. But Mm -hmm. again, back on track. I've said I wanted to go places like bars, clubs, do things, and no one would be free to go with me, whatever, and I didn't want to subject myself to walking home alone in a setting or going home alone in a setting where I could be attacked or something bad could happen to me, etc. And I've had guys who come back and say something like, that makes sense, or like going on a hike. I've had that conversation too, like going on a hike. I can't go alone. I'm a woman in the woods alone. I can't really do that. Um, yeah. And I've had guys be like, oh, that like, I, I understand, but I don't understand, but I see where you're coming from. And then yeah. there are just guys who just don't understand. And they're like, why not? Like you could do anything you want. And I'm like, you don't understand. And I feel like it's just understanding to know that you'll never understand, but you, yeah. you feel feel where they're coming from and like you you just express I wouldn't say like pity or sorrow or whatever but just understanding you know yeah yeah it's like I mean I feel like it's an ongoing conversation in today's society and I mean it's also hard I can imagine it's like hard in like interracial relationships because I'm like you want to support your partner but like you by you supporting them it's kind of like coming to terms that like you can never make them feel like never but like it will be very impossible for you to make them feel better yeah without like creating some sort of like miraculous like oh snap like a Thanos all the racists in society (laughs) yeah so off this notion again of relating to relationships and interracial dating the next topic we're gonna touch on is is love truly color colorblind and should it be colorblind i love this question because i mean i posed it to danielle (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah so social identity and like that includes when when i should have prefaced earlier but like social identity talking about like your race ethnicity i mean i say race because it's like what people kind of associate but also race is a socially constructed uh, concept denoted by like predominantly like white society to like kind of subcategorize people so I mean I I still subconsciously say it because that's how I was grew up in education life to say it but I mean we really mean like culture and ethnicity I think ethnicity is also a better indicator because ethnicity accounts for a person's skin color but like the cultural religious etc background so mm-hmm. social we'll talk about social identity and also getting to my uh my sociality degree. Um talking about like your income status, your socioeconomic status, your sexuality, gender, all that fun stuff um that society has created to label you and make you also feel shitty about yourself. Um but also like to say social identity and like owning that can be empowering. Um like going back to the question is love truly colorblind like social identity is something that people need to be conscious of in relationships whether they want to or not but this notion of love 
being blind and kind of nod to the Netflix show, which I love because I love trashy reality TV shows. Um, but does it hold any merit in today's like modern world of dating and relationships when you can basically go into a relationship blind? For example, if we take Star and Chris's relationship, um, Chris claims he doesn't see color, but I mean, he can't really know not know that star is a black girl but I wonder if they met like via social media and they didn't show any pictures of themselves like how much their relationship would change yeah well I think I mean there's two routes I'm going to take with this conversation on my end if we're just looking at because people usually say is is love blind love is blind that's a show love is blind we don't focus in on color and like you said a lot of the factors that go into your compatibility with someone is like all aspects of ethnicity and there's also physicality, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then we get into this whole weird subset of people fetishizing certain people of color and ethnicities and like, that's a whole other issue, whatever. But if we're looking at this as is love blind in a perfect world, I think it should be because everything's not all about, physicality what you look like your culture Mm -hmm. fetishizing things whatever but this is not a perfect world and in regards to is at least not yet maybe one day we'll get to this utopia but in regards to is love truly colorblind i think as like a society as a collective there's so much unlearning to do and like it's ignorant to not acknowledge color and the pressure that comes along Mm -hmm. with it because or any ethnicity because it at this point and will always be a part of who we are. And there are so many things happening in society right now in regards to how people identify that it would just be dismissive. Yeah. And I think a good example from the book that kind of shows that love like isn't colorblind as much as like maybe you personally want it to be. Others also have their judgments in the book. Williamson star is Williamson star star is one of the only black girls at this school. She's the only black girl in her grade. And there's one other black boy in her grade named Ryan and everyone around her assumes they should be dating and says they should be the ones dating because they're the two black people in the school. And this is everyone else around them. Everyone else around them has no right to be saying that or thinking that, but we all have, or most people have subconscious bias. Like, why is that even a thought? And I just think, again, it's ignorant and dismissive to not acknowledge that people still have those thoughts like that, you know? Yeah. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. Um, but have you ever dated, I mean, no, I don't really know, like, you haven't dated anyone seriously, because I know you, <laughs> but um, have you ever been interested in, kissed, whatever, talked to a person of color, like, in, in a your... romantic way? Yeah. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think, I've never kissed, I've only kissed white boys. Um, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. And I don't know what that says about me. I mean, then again, like, I don't, I'm not going to be like, I would never, like, I don't know. I don't know what to really make of that. I think, I mean, BU is like a very white school, maybe. Yeah. It's just not being exposed because I'm also from suburban New York. Like, 
people of color is also limited so I don't know if it's a factor in my surroundings and being mostly white people or subconscious bias I don't really know I've been attracted to famous people of color yeah but I've never romantically yeah yeah but I'm also from like I think it's also like within your community and like these kind of you see like in greater society like how communities cluster together and it's like you're in suburban New York and like this white area, but also like that doesn't mean there's not people of color community. Cause I mean, I'm also from suburban New York um, where there's predominantly white, but like there's hefty Hispanic uh, like and uh, biopoc community. So it's, I think it's interesting because I mean, I mean, I, like I mentioned like growing up in like predominantly white schools, like yes, uh, the, a lot of uh, the uh, potential suitors, uh, I emphasis on, or not emphasis, de-emphasis on suitors because they don't like me, but were, like, white boys. But then when I got into, like, college and I went on, like, this, like, semi-date. I don't even know. It was a, I guess it was a date with, um, uh, I, I forget where he was when he, he immigrated to Boston recently. Um, but I realized that in, like, in college, like, a lot of people that, were interested in me and I was interested were men of color and like gravitating towards like a wider dating pool and like I don't know I don't even know what to make of that but um I thought it was interesting because this uh this semi-date I met um, the 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 story of like how he asked me out or like I got a summer was kind of cringy and I want to like throw up thinking about it but it was one summer me and my friends we went to Haymarket where in the summer, um, usually Haymarket has like, usually. oh yeah, yeah. Um, in Haymarket, there's usually a, a farmer's market, and this guy was uh, at one of the stands selling berries, and he gave me free raspberries, and then I got his number. <laughs> um, okay, granted, some of the raspberries were moldy, but I won't hold it against him. Um, but at market and Haymarket, I feel like I've also gotten some moldy fruit there, but it's okay. Yeah, we want to support like local farms and. Uh, farmers markets and cities and food accessibility um but then we went on a date and it was fine I mean it was a good day I guess we just like walked around and talked but just like the cultural differences that we were both describing was just like it was so interesting because I've never really been on dates with men before I guess in general um <laughs> but trying to navigate like dating someone outside your culture or in a completely different culture for example this guy was young he was a person of color he had just immigrated to Boston he was Muslim I believe and just like talking about our cultural differences and like wondering even then like oh it's like not that I don't even know if I was I mean I guess wasn't really interested in him I never really I saw him like once after that but um like how to merge these two things together and trying to go into a first date blind to these differences but also acknowledging them because I didn't want that to be the deciding factor of me not continuing a relationship with him obviously because that's really messed up but at the same time like trying to grapple with these like unconscious conscious biases that I had and I think that was like a big learning experience for me also because Boston is predominantly white and like me gravitating more towards men of color um just shows for I think now like reflecting on it just like shows how like not like, I mean guess like out of place I still feel as a biracial person or because of the struggle I have in real life is like white boys don't get me but also like 
BIPOC uh, boys also really feel like wouldn't get me or people in general shouldn't like limit it to one gender but it's that like struggle of like oh I can identify with both like white culture and a Hispanic culture but that doesn't make it easier for me to like reconcile this identity and especially in terms of dating like how to I guess is what I struggle with is like how to reconcile like wanting to be with someone that understands it um but also like we were saying like also knowing that I probably like couldn't understand their struggles as well either Mm -hmm. yeah and I think not to speak on your personal experience but it seems at least from what I've read and gathered from like media and stuff is there's also oh like an avenue of judgment that comes along with being a biracial person because people from either community sometimes might not fully accept you because you're not fully one of the ethnicities you know like do you feel that yeah. way oh yeah definitely because I mean I like mentioned I think one of the things they'll probably get out of this podcast is that yes I have white passing because I think I always have to acknowledge that like I look like a white person but if you look closely like I do have Hispanic features and not that certain attributes or traits or characteristics and appearances belong to certain cultures that is just kind of how people see me and I need to recognize that people see me as this white person but within my family like there's a lot of different skin tones and within my culture especially and like there's always these standards that you have to meet like I feel like when society sees biracial people they always try and identify which side is more prominent in that person um if like obviously if you have a darker skin tone there you're gonna be associated with that ethnicity I feel self-conscious about it sometimes because it's like oh I'm not hitting the targets of a typical Hispanic person thus I cannot claim that part of my identity but I'm like also like Hispanic people don't all look the same they don't all speak the same language too you know it's a whole like mess of a situation that I'm still yeah. like, trying to unpack and I mean I feel like that's the the, the struggle that Star has to like uh, reconcile those two parts of her identity is like a little bit parallel to my struggle to reconcile my Hispanic heritage and culture and then like my white side yeah yeah I mean yeah I asked because I feel like y'all have some I mean there's obviously differences but some similarities in regards to kind of grappling like you said with two sides of your identity so yeah And another part of interracial relationships that we want to talk about is allyship and talking about like Chris's allyship and to star in their relationship and just also allyship in general. uh, It's like super important. So Danielle, did you want to speak to this a little bit? Yeah. (laughs) So I think, um, like I said in the beginning, uh, it's not on people of color BIPOC communities to teach everyone else about what is right what is wrong and what we should learn and unlearn that is not their job it's our job to educate ourselves and in relation to Chris and Star I think it's important to acknowledge that due to the nature of their relationship there's an extra emphasis it's more imperative for Chris to get on this track of learning educated himself about the black community specifically Mm -hmm. and then BIPOC communities whereas maybe others in predominantly white communities like are they taking this initiative to learn and unlearn these things 
because if you're surrounded by mostly white people, like, are you even conscious to what is happening in other communities? Are you going to take the leap to learn? Or are you just going to live in this bubble and be like, well, it doesn't impact me, so I'm not going to. Yeah, I hate that, like, notion of, oh, this doesn't impact me, so I don't need to care about it. It's just, like, human rights and human justices, injustices, basic human workings impacts everybody so like that is just so messed up and it's like oh it doesn't bother me like uh, so I don't need to pay attention to it and that is annoying and also talking about like intention behind allyship is very important and I love how like Chris goes through this like journey of kind of coming to terms with his privilege and his identity um but I also like I don't I mean does Chris do it because he's a good person or does Chris do it because he loves Star? And does, is that an important difference or does it matter? Because, I mean, in a perfect world, I'm like, I want you to learn about these things and become an ally because you are a good, inherently good person. Mm-hmm. I think in the similar vein, it's like you don't and you don't want someone to become an I mean, OK, all allyship, like allyship in general is important. If someone's doing allyship for like a specific end goal or a specific specific person, does that does that taint an, a true allyship or is it like can beggars be choosers? We are, and I mean, for instance, when the George the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor protests were happening, like I was and very conscious of who was on my social media feed posting and spreading resources and some posting um but does that type of allyship hold any weight or really mean anything especially via social media and you kind of I like how Angie Thomas brought in Tumblr into her narrative shout out to Tumblr um and like using kind of social media activism in the story um for context that star has a tumblr and um is very active at posting like black history black power um black lives matter movement things and one of the controversies in the book was that Haley unfollowed star's tumblr after she posted a picture of emmett till um it was very like graphic photo um and then Haley's claim was like, oh, I don't want to see that. But Star was using her platform, her social media to be like an activist and an ally. Um, but going back, that is supposed as nowadays, like we talk about allyship and like activism, we have to talk about the influence of social media. Yeah. And just like posting on social media truly mean anything. I mean, for me, I feel like the... It feels like for celebrities, it feels like the minimum, the bare minimum requirement to like give a fuck that black people are being murdered, especially with the platform like big influencers and celebrities have. But at the same time, it's just words they can forget it the next day, especially like using that allyship for clout or for their own purposes. And I don't know, I just I struggle with this so much. Yeah, I think I definitely also took note over the summer during all the Black Lives Matter protests, not riots. My family would say riots. We say protests. Okay, to be fair, there, there, there's, there's, yeah, a, there's, there were some riots too, but a lot of it was peaceful protesting. Yeah, um, also like 
I had this conversation with my um, with my dad and my family versus like riots versus protesting. Yeah. That's a whole nother. I mean, and you see this in the book too, like peaceful protests and riots and like, yeah, it's so complicated. Yeah. That's a whole other can of worms. But um, I definitely took note, and I I also kind of struggle with it because in taking note, it at first I was like, okay, like this kind of shows like who's caring. But at the same time, it's like, I personally don't really use my social media that much, my Insta stories, all that jazz. I did post um, my Insta stories, though. Um, but I think it's also important that if you are posting or not posting, like, what you do offline, like, anything else matters. Like, are you having these important conversations with friends? Are you donating to resources? Are you spending your time to learn to educate yourself? and unlearn these things you know like there is a lot of power in your words and that's a big part like we said of this book um that's why the star posts on tumblr you know that's where she starts and then at these protests there are speakers star uses her voice at these protests and gets a lot of people going you know but i think especially if you're only posting on social media that can only go so far and i think it also depends on what you're posting. Mm-hmm. There was that whole Blackout Tuesday thing. And I understand that that was supposed to be um, used as a show of allyship and showing your support for the movement, all that jazz. And to my knowledge, it, orig- it originally started within actually being a, a posting um, for people within the music business supporting Black Lives Matter and Black artists and all that jazz. And then it kind of took off. And then my whole entire feed was hashtag Blackout Tuesday. And through listening to other podcasts, specifically Why Won't You Date Me with Nicole Byer, <laughs> my favorite <laughs> podcast, um, she talked a lot. She only had Black guests, really, for most of the summer. And in speaking a lot, she is a Black woman. Uh, she said on instances like Blackout Tuesday People only posted that square with no resources, not saying anything else besides hashtag Blackout Tuesday. And in doing that and showing your allyship, you were also flooding out all the other people who were posting, like, useful resources and, like, places to donate money. And Mm -hmm. that was, like, a double-edged sword because, okay, you're trying to show your support and I understand that. But, like, your posting didn't really have much of an intention besides to just be like I support you but like you didn't do anything else and in doing that you were not silencing but making it harder to find other resources that might have been a better use of social media you know yeah. not that anything's like a better use but because yeah. allyship is good in the end allyship is good but there are some people that were spreading yeah more impactful words around yeah I mean I- I don't know, like, allyship is good, all allyship is good, because you see, we see in the book, there's a scene right after Khalil's death that Star's school, or the kids in Star's school, like, uh, walk out of class in protest of Khalil's death, but, like, the main messages from her classmates were, oh, we get a free day if we protest. We miss our test, like, one of the, ki- the kids yeah. it because he didn't want to take the test that type of intention is inherently negative and like that that but also that type of attention of like a bunch of white kids walking out of school to protest a black teens uh unjust police shooting that will get media attention so like that's why it struggles like it's good to bring attention to these issues but when the intentions are inherently bad like it's so messed up and I guess um 
I, I appreciated Angie Thomas like adding that scene um, in the book because it just shows like, yeah, like not all allyship is good allyship. And there's a lot of like, fakers and a lot of people, yeah. who, especially white people yeah. that want to use it um, for their own personal gain. And that is so messed up. Like, come on, yeah. people. like white people. We have like, you guys have enough, like chill. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just, vetting like it's again like it sucks but you have to vet out who's actually there for the reasons they're supposed to be there and who's just there because there's a personal benefit or they don't want to be the odd one out not supporting a cause you know like yeah they have to be there because they want to be there and like know what's happening you know um you made a point to say that people kind of just are doing this to kind of do it and we idealize people who are activists and show allyship to certain communities because it's like the right thing to do um but with that there's a romanticization of this I thought this was a great point you brought up so Mm -hmm. please speak on this and I will also give my thoughts (laughs) yeah I mean I'm guilty of this like romanticizing like activism and allyship I mean, I think it's, I mean, obviously these are assumptions, but I think it's because all men are inherently trash in the moment. I find a guy who's decent, like a decent feminist who sports biopoc and other causes. I'm just like, I love you. Like, let's get married or like not married. Let's enter a civil partnership because I don't believe in like a legalized marriage because that system's messed up. But I'm like, especially like celebrities and I feel like this idealization of like basic human being requirements and values is just so toxic to allyship and activism and like I said this really creates a space for people to use that as a tool for their own advances um I think there was also like this notion um oh uh like a guy being like oh I'm a feminist and I support Black Lives Matter like thus I am fuckable and a man like a good suitor like and this type of notion of like spooning over guys who should just have basic decent like thoughts about human rights just shows I don't know it's I mean like I said I'm guilty of doing this people we need to stop idealizing people who like think that basic human rights is like good because everybody should think that basic human rights is good like that's the minimum standard we need to meet as like a human being it's just like caring about other people and Also, it sets a norm of, like, white boys inherently not supporting these movements, which is also toxic. Yeah, I agree with this notion, and that's why I found it so interesting, because I'm also (laughs) guilty of this. (laughs) Like, when a guy presents himself as, quote, woke, and, like, such as these, it's just kind of showing I'm in awe of it, because I think that we associate these acts and affiliations and supporting social justice movements and all that is kind of displaying care for others, empathy for others, others who are not at the top of society as a white cisgendered heterosexual male. Mm-hmm. And I think as a society, we also internalize this collective, like we said that all men are trash. So with the all men are trash notion and finding someone who cares about someone other than themselves yeah it just is this cycle cycle and like um 
explosion of like, oh my gosh, wow, like you care. We like grip to it and we use that kind of justification to be like, well, like you're a white cisgender heterosexual male, but like you care. Like, ooh, la la, you know. Like, ooh, yeah. Ugh, wow. Str- I mean, <laughs> yeah, the struggle was. Yeah. So that's our conversation on themes. Uh, we're gonna, we still liked from our previous episode with to all the boys when we picked out some of our favorite quotes. So we're going to save this little end session, um, little end part with some of our favorite quotes. Yeah. I guess I'll go first because also you indicated I should go first. <laughs> but um, um, wow, you have so much more quotes than me. Danielle's more of like a quote bitch than I am. I know. She, I like have inspirational quotes in my room. I tear lyrics apart. It's I, I like I like words, okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love that you love words. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the one quote that I love um, is, um, I won't give page numbers because there's also different editions of the book, but to set the scene, so Star is talking to Maverick, her dad, after the interview with the district attorney and after her dad, Maverick, finds out that she's dating Chris, a white boy, and he kind of goes like, wow, you're like, why are you dating a white boy? Um, and then she tells him, like, you haven't set a good example of what a black man should be. You've set a good example of what a man should be. Duh. Um, and I love that quote because, uh, I mean, it's very multi-layered. Um, it's kind of like a, oh, like, it. one, it just shows star sassiness because star is a sassy queen. And we love her. She's quick-witted. She's good with her word. She stands up for herself. And um, kind of showing that these types of values that she looks for is universal. And I just appreciate that. But also knowing that throughout the book, it's obvious Maverick is such a big role model and idol of hers, being her father and you know, working for his family to better the, his community and that tor- uh, sort of, like, nod to him being, like, you're a good person. But I like that distinction of, like, he's just a good example of what a man should be because there is this, like, universal, like, values and standards of, like, what men should be. Um, But the, then there's also no right way to be a black man, to be a black girl, to be a hispanic woman like yeah etc etc so i like that distinction of like yes these standards for like men and humans are can be universal but like there's also that there's like no right way to be like one person or one culture one ethnicity Mm -hmm. i agree i remember reading that one i was like whoa i also think it just meant a lot uh, to maverick to hear her say that he he did spend some time in jail and he missed out on a few years of Star's early life. And during that mm-hmm. time, Star's uncle, Carlos, kind of took on the role of father figure. And so Maverick was kind of always insecure about that and always being felt he was always being stacked up against this other family member. And I think him just hearing her say that and like that he is admirable to her and she respects him and loves him and like mm-hmm. is the standard for great for her. I think that just meant yeah. it was really sweet moment. Yes. 
so uh, my first quote's not wholesome family content. Uh, <laughs> uh, this was just um, in the beginning-ish of the book and stars were counting this time that her and Chris are hooking up and then he kind of wants to go or insinuates he wants to go farther than she does after she had already expressed that she didn't want to do anymore. Set her boundaries, and he was like... Yes. And Mm -hmm. she was like, quote, I left his house pissed and horny. Absolute worst way to leave. I just... That was funny and a quarantine mood, except we can't leave the house. So that's why I wanted to share that one. And the next quote I chose is... um, Starts talking to her mom, Lisa, and Mm -hmm. Lisa's kind of giving her one of those life lessons. Mm -hmm. And she says, sometimes you can do everything right and things will still go wrong. The key is to never stop doing right. And I just think that's a great sentiment for life because life is messy. And I think a lot of people have this in their mind, like, I did everything right. And like, garbage still happens to me and like also and become bitter and jaded and like then don't want to help other people or don't want to be like a good person or like do the right thing and I think it's important to have this notion that you should still do the right thing because Lisa's talking about this in the context of when she was pregnant with Star and she's like I did everything right to have like a great pregnancy with you and like you were born and you had a you had breathing problems and like we didn't know what was going to happen and it was really scary and my thought was like I did everything right like why did this happen Ben Starr ended up obviously fine uh, but I just think it's a good life lesson to have that like yeah you can do everything right and it still might hit the fan but that's not a reason to stop doing right so yeah and I just want to also like add in that I love this quote also because Star struggles with this notion of being brave and she thinks bravery is like very like one-sided strong kind of no vulnerability involved but you see her struggle with this like she is speaking out for Khalil and justice and but she's also going through a lot of trauma and PTSD and like you know, there's like graphic depiction like too graphic but of like her throwing up her crying because of recounting like the trauma that she endured and I think what Lisa says like kind of helps heal her in a bit saying like you can do everything right and like things will still go wrong like and there's like kind of the notion there's no you can still be vulnerable and be brave is like pushing through that Mm -hmm. yeah so with that we will move on to lessons learned and takeaways. Yeah, so Danny, this is your. Ugh, I don't. It's weird to still. I'm going to call you Danielle because that's how I know you and that's how I love you. Not that I don't love you as Danny, but I love you as Danielle. Um, <laughs> but uh, any takeaways? I know this was your first time reading this book, so lessons learned. What you want to go forth in wisdom? Yes. Uh, so obviously, like I said in the beginning, I really enjoyed this book, blew through it in a day, also for this recording, but also I really enjoyed it. It did not feel like a task reading this book. And I think it's just, it was really eye opening, especially, I mean, with everything going on with that was going on is going on with the Black Lives Matter movement, especially after this summer and George Floyd. I mean, obviously, it was a movement before, but I feel like, uh, kind of woke everyone up in the middle of the turmoil of everything else going on so this was I would say like woke 
up people who were ignorant to the situation because black people and other BIPOC people have been like living this life for yeah yeah those not like affected um such as myself but I'm not living that life day to day um so it was just kind of cool to read and get the perspective again Angie Thomas is a black woman writing this narrative and while I'll never be able to experience this narrative in this life and like we said empathize in a way where I can exactly relate I feel like reading this was a good experience to kind of feel that way I mean even the way the book is written with Williamson star and um, Garden Heights star you see the code switching in the language used like it was just a very well done book to kind of get the perspective of being a young black girl in today's world and I I found it really eye-opening and it just had a lot of good lessons uh, that we talked about today. So going forward, obviously I think the key terms we've used a lot throughout this episode was learning and unlearning and taking it upon ourselves to educate ourselves. And that's something I've been trying to do. And like this book has been on my list for a while to read in such a process. So I'm happy we got to do it. Um, so yeah, what I kind of took away after my second time reading this uh, is that like the internal biases that I still hold just because I identify as like a biracial person doesn't mean I'm not, shouldn't hold myself accountable for like acts of um, like discrimination I have towards like other people and working towards being anti-racist every day of my life and knowing that I'm not going to be perfect mm-hmm. and that's okay and I think that another big thing that I just mentioned is like bravery and being brave and vulnerable like bravery is just not being so stoic and like heroic you can ha- be vulnerable like have trauma cry throw up whatever and still be considered brave and that's what I really just want to take away because I do struggle with like kind of being brave and not trying to show my vulnerability within my braveness. And I think that's something I admire about Star is that how she perseveres and she comes to terms with like speaking out and being brave in this way where uh, it is an honest like depiction of her mm-hmm. herself and her trauma and to say I think a lot of the notes uh in regards displaying bravery are kind of the subconscious bias towards people envisioning bravery as a masculine strong no emotions kind of way and I don't think that's that at all I think there's a lot of strength in being vulnerable and saying it exactly how it is and not always putting on a brave face for everyone else so yeah so like star I will go forth and be brave and speak my mind and always stick to your truth yes and uh, don't i um also don't sorry i totally forgot about this point um don't let other people put words in your mouth stick to your truth and that's yeah. the advice maverick gives star in the beginning when she's talking to the police and the attorneys like yeah stick to your truth and don't let people rewrite your truth so yes we love a good maverickism. Oh, so, I like that term. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
that's our episode for today. Woo. Woo. Yeah. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. I know we really did. It was a great read. Uh, great conversation, so, too. Again, yeah, great conversation. If you want to continue the conversation with us, hit us with your comments, suggestions, all that jazz on our Instagram at Danny and Izzy. Or our email, dannyandizzy at gmail.com. We are still waiting for our first listener to email us. So if you want that privilege, hit us up. Uh, And we'll be back uh, in two weeks. We are planning to release bi-weekly at this point with our next episode. Yes, um, we'll announce the book. Should we announce the book now? Should we get a sneak peek what we're doing? We can announce the book now because I love it. Okay, yeah, Danielle's so excited. Um, we are going to cover one of Danielle's most talked about books. Yes. Uh, I would love to announce it. I'm just, yeah. Uh, so we are going to do Dumplin'. Uh, by, I'm double checking the author right yeah. now. Uh, Julie Murphy. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure I was correct. Uh, you know, why mind over here all the why authors are in this noggin of mine uh but i love dumplin it's a great story uh, of relationships of course because that's why we're here platonic and romantic but also about self-acceptance body image stuff all that jazz the movie's great on netflix as well yes but read the book too um the soundtrack is Totally done by Miss Dolly Parton, our queen, my country queen. I will <laughs> never rest my country queen. I will always say it. I love her. Uh, and I'm really excited for it. And y'all should be too. So, a little y'all in there. Uh, but yeah, so uh, thanks for listening. And like I said, like Danielle thought, we'll be, be back in two weeks talking about Dumpling by Julie Murphy. So, go get your copies read and then listen to our podcast yes okay ciao ciao for now bye hey it's izzy danny and i wanted to include a list of anti-racist black lives matter and allyship resources with this episode you can find these resources in the podcast description and we will be posting them to our instagram at danny and izzy We hope you found the conversation engaging and would appreciate any type of feedback, especially if it helps us become better allies. Thanks for listening.